the book of Habakkuk. Might take you a little while to get there, so I better start now. And don't be ashamed to use the table of contents. Book of Habakkuk. If you get to Malachi, you've gone too far. We have been covering something that is hard to put into words. And yet God commanded Habakkuk to put it into words. That's what Habakkuk chapter 1 says for us. To put it into words. And actually, the frankness, the rawness of Habakkuk's prophecy, if God had not commanded it to be put down, I think we would struggle to say the same things ourselves. We're in the middle of processing this prophecy, and really, I've tried to resist the temptation to bring resolution as we go through, because the resolution doesn't come to the end of the book. And so really, we've been mostly been hanging um, each week without much resolution. Every once in a while, I would get carried away and bring a little bit of resolution, but my intention is to avoid that resolution until the scripture gives it to us. Last week, we looked at the fact that God is doing unbelievable things, things that are hard for us to even imagine. That includes the good things, that includes what the things that are evil to us. And now this week, we move into further wrestling. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Lord, this week, I ask that you would help us to be honest with ourselves. Take the rawness, the, the deep struggles that Habakkuk's prophecy commanded by you and given for all of us to read in the scriptures. That we would be able to struggle with these things and be honest and through that honesty and through that struggle that you could minister to us. Pray that for the folks here this morning. Pray that for myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one this morning, wrestle with God's character. Wrestle with God's character. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 12 is where we start today. Habakkuk 1, verse 12. Habakkuk says, we've transitioned now from the Lord speaking last week. He finished up in verse 11, back to Habakkuk in verse 12. Habakkuk says, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. Speaking about the Chaldean people. 
And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You, who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors? And remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea. Like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. And drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So we're going to look back at verses 12 and 13, where Habakkuk is referencing God's character. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We should not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment and you, our rock, have established them for reproof. Your eyes are of purer eyes. Excuse me. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and could and cannot look at wrong. Habakkuk here is trying to make sense of the events that are happening and the things that God is going to say are going to happen. He's trying to make sense of what God's character is and who he knows God to be. And he references specifically his holiness and his everlastingness, if I can use that word. And then he's looking at what's happening God's character and what's happening and how do those things fit together? And we who are a moral people creating God's image, we think of moral realities compared to circumstances and we try to make sense of them. We do the same thing. In fact, when we perceive that someone has treated us in a way that we think is not appropriate, our moral sense gets upset. And we begin to try to make sense of character and what is right versus what we think is happening, and we're trying to sort that out. In fact, that happens on a daily basis. We watch the squabbles that play out with, at least in my home, with my kids, and... Adults do the same thing in their workplaces, in their larger families. This is the reality of being created in God's image. Making sense of what is moral and right, what is character, and what is implemented properly in the circumstances. So turn with me to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. Jonah does the same thing, except... He is more proactively mad at 
God and his character. And that can happen as well. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah initially runs from God when God commands him to reach out to the pagan Assyrians and evangelize them. And Jonah repents in Jonah chapter 2. In Jonah chapter 3, he obeys the way he should have originally done. And through his preaching, the Ninevites repent. This is one of the classic Old Testament passages to make it clear that God reaches out to the nations, to the Gentiles. And I suppose to our Christian sensibilities, Jonah's response in chapter 4 is a shock to us. But as we think about perhaps the uh, racism that we've seen in our country, we think about the offense we have of different nationalities and how they behaved on our world scene today. We have a sense of disgust or offense at certain nations for how they behave and what they have done and what they try to achieve. And that is how Jonah feels here with these folks who doesn't feel like they should have the right to have mercy. And so in chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah is upset at God's character. He says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. That's an intensified word in the Hebrew there. Exceedingly. He was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my, yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God. And merciful. Slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. And relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. In this situation, God's character was so offensive to Jonah with how it played out. He didn't want to live anymore. We cannot fully conceptualize God's character. Yes, we read of it in the pages of Scripture. But God's character is bigger than our minds. And then how it plays out in our lives and on the world scene is beyond our ability to totally contain it. So as it plays out, there are times when it is totally it's beyond. We can't see how it makes sense. And so we start going through in our minds what we know about God and what we see happening and we try to bring it together. Jonah did that in anger. Habakkuk is doing that in disbelief. As God said, I'm going to do something that's unbelievable to you. You wouldn't believe it unless I told you it was going to, even if I told you it was going to happen, which I am. Trying to make sense of it. The character of God and the scripture as he gives it to us in one of the hardest chapters of our New Testament is on display in Romans chapter 11. 
really in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, when God's character is on display in teaching the doctrine of election. Some teachings about God that are very hard. They're so hard that many people who love God over the centuries have argued over the implications of the doctrine of election. And yet, how does the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, bring conclusion to this teaching on election? How does the end of Romans chapter 11 go? It goes with this song of praise of God's character. Paul is praising God for his character. They name several things. And so as we wrestle with life and God's character and how it applies and the implications of the teachings of Scripture and the sayings of God, we wrestle with God's character and how it plays out. A few years ago, really several years ago, there was a superior in my life who felt it necessary to sit me down. Um, and lay on me several criticisms of me. They were detailed, and there were several of them. (laughs) And this is not a person who is careless. Um, They are an intense person, but they're not a careless person. This person is a follower of Christ. And as he was done with his criticisms, boy, it laid on me heavy. It felt like too much and like there was an axe to grind. Although I think this person took pains to to not have it that way. They felt it was necessary to lay all these things upon me. And so... As you might imagine, if you've gone through a similar experience, that doesn't leave you in an hour or a day um, or a month and sometimes for years. A period of time went by, I don't know if it was a couple weeks maybe, and this person came up to me, they were still my superior, and they said, you've been acting different around me. Why is that? (laughs) Um, And so we had another conversation And what I told him was, is I know you and I know your character. But how what you said felt to me is different than what I know about your character. And I'm still trying to process that. Because I know you are a caring person. I know that you are a faithful person. And I know that you love God. And that you care about me. But... The outcome of our previous conversation felt way different than what I know about you. And there's a great conflict in me right now. You're going to have to give me time to sort that out. And so it is with us as God's people. We wrestle with his character and what we see in this life. It's just hard.
And my application here for you is take time to wrestle with God's character and your circumstances. Go to your Bible. Open it up. Read what you know about God. Search the scriptures. Spend time reviewing what you know about God. Maybe relearning it. Maybe you discover something you really never had saw before, but it's been plainly taught in the scriptures. And wrestle with your circumstances. Recognize you're not going to be able to totally conceive of it and totally wrap it up and put a neat bow on it. But a part of us as Christ followers is we need to wrestle with God's character. Go to him and struggle with it. Number one, wrestle with God's character. And next, this leads us to a point of conflict, a tension. Number two, wrestle with seeming contradiction. Wrestle with seeming contradiction. Second half of verse 13 comes to a very pointed question Verses 12 and the first half of verse 13, back in Habakkuk, by the way, is um, leading to God. Habakkuk is going through this character struggle with God and he's trying to think through it. And then this brings him to a point of conflict and tension. He just comes out with it and he's very, very direct. And he says, second half of verse 13, why do you idly look at traitors? Why and, excuse me, remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook and he drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. So we come back to the why question that we looked at a couple weeks ago that's at the beginning of this chapter. Habakkuk is very, very direct. He uses a phrase and he asks God, why do you idly look at traitors? You see, this, there's a little bit of a, a poetic sense here because at the beginning of verse 13, Habakkuk talks about God's pure eyes. They cannot look at wrong. And the contrast, the conflict is now he's saying he's using the word look, which has to do with God's eyes. And he's saying that God is idly looking at traitors. Beginning the verse, he says you can't look at wrong. At the end of the verse, he says, but you're looking at wrong and not doing anything about it. This word idly is actually not in the original Hebrew. The literal translation of phrases is look at traitors. But as translators look at how to translate things into English or the language that they're translating into, they're looking at the nuances of the meaning and the idea there is appropriate that God is looking at traitors and not doing anything about it. That is the sense of the phrase. It goes on. He says, 
You, you are making us like the fish of the sea. Well, what are the fish of the sea like? Just in case you didn't catch the image that Habakkuk was using here. The fish of the sea are generally helpless to the fishermen. Not much they can do about it. They get hooked or they get caught up in a dragnet and pulled in and they're pulled up and they're used for someone else's benefit. So Habakkuk is saying we are like helpless fish and there's these evil people that just throw a net out and scoop us up and there's absolutely nothing we can do. We have no way of protecting ourselves. You ever heard of the historical account of the Wigtown Martyrs? Wigtown Martyrs? Yeah, Scotland. Margaret Lachlan and Margaret Wilson. Two ladies. And they were part of the Scottish Covenanters. And they were advocating a religious freedom that was not allowed for them. So there was a clash between power structures power structures of the Scottish Episcopalians, which were also woven in with the government, and then the freedom to worship as a Presbyterian, and at that point also as one that is more biblically oriented than the Scottish Episcopalians. This happened in 1685 in Wigtown, Scotland. What happened was is these two ladies were tied to a stake, well, one was tied to one stake and one was tied to another stake. But this was out on a beach. When the tide was out, the older lady, Margaret McLaughlin, was 63, was tied further out on the beach, closer to the water. The younger Margaret Wilson, 18, was tied a little bit closer in and farther away from the water. The idea was for the younger Margaret to watch as the older Margaret drowned first as the tide came in and the water rose. And the idea was is hopefully that the younger Margaret would recant. Well, the tide started to come in. The younger Margaret watched as the older struggled and eventually drowned. And as the water continued to slowly rise around her, she too drowned for her faith. Here, two women die for what they believed was right. These women were like helpless fish, the ones that Habakkuk talked about. Powerful people snatch them in their nets and do with them what they please. I've had the joy the last few years of reading to my children some fictional books most evenings. 
And we're finishing up a series called the Green Ember Series. I recommend it for adults too. Excellent series. And we're on this last book and things are happening. Things are coming to a conclusion. There's some joys and then there's some tears. A character that we know and love. Been with us since the beginning of the series. And this is a four book series. And I won't tell you his name because I don't want to ruin it for you if you ever read it. He gives his life for the cause. And it's a tearjerker. Then I asked my friend, I asked my kids, would you give your life like he did? Then I asked, do you think I would give my life like he did? I don't know the answer to that question, but it's a question we need to ask. You see, my dear friends, we are in this world often like fish that are caught up in the nets of evil people and evil nations. Although we live in America and we have great freedom, my dear friends, we are not in neutral territory. We are in a spiritual war. And let me just tell you now, you need to hear this on this Sunday before our national elections. Elections and politics will never get us to safety. Elections and politics will never conquer the kingdom of darkness. I'm not telling you not to get involved for the cause of righteousness. I'm telling you, be careful where you place your hope. Because it is a very tricky thing for us in America. And many of evangelicalism have gotten caught up in political hopes and lost sight of God's kingdom. We need to be ready to be that martyr. We need to be ready to be as the fish of the sea who are caught up in the net of evil people and evil nations. All the while wrestling with the character of God and the seeming conflicts of the fact that evil is prevailing and God doesn't seem to be stopping it. By the way, our Savior himself was like a fish of the sea when he went to the cross. Number one, wrestle with God's character. Number two, wrestle with seeming contradiction. And then there is that success of evil. And we really, this is a pervasive point throughout all of the book. So this isn't particularly new, but it is a part of our text this morning. Number, number three, wrestle with powerful, proud, and prevailing evil. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Therefore, he, in this case, the Chaldeans, but he's just also speaking to evil, successful evil in general. He sacrifices to his net. He just had used his net to catch up all these fish of the sea. And now he is worshiping his power and ability to do this. And makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. 
Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Final punch to Habakkuk's question to God. I mentioned this, I think it was a couple weeks ago, Psalm 73. You don't need to turn there. I'm going to read to you first, first five verses from the NIV. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Asaph in Psalm 73 is referencing God's character. But then he goes on and there's a conflict that he's wrestling with, with God's character. Psalm 73, verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Why? Verse 3. For I had envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, verse 4. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Again, classic struggle, trying to make sense of God's character and the success of evil people versus our experience in our Christian lives. And here, Habakkuk is talking about the same success. And then they go on and they perform their pagan worship and celebrate their success. We are not a people that understands physical threat here in America. There are evils happening around us and there are occasional physical threats, but not the degree that most of the rest of the world has for most of history. To the extent we can conceive of this type of evil, it's an awful reality. It's a bitter reality. And that leads us to wrestling with God's character, number one. Number two, wrestling with seeming contradiction. Number three, wrestle with powerful, proud, and prevailing evil. And it finally leads us to Habakkuk's next question to God. And that's Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says, after asking that last final question, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. I don't know Habakkuk's attitude here. It doesn't tell us, but he could be earnestly saying, I'm going to get up in the watchtower and I'm going to watch for God's response to me as I really want to know. It could be one answer. I visualize him as indignant at this point. What are you going to say to that, God? How are you going to fix that? How are you going to deal with that contradiction? Could be either one. Could be both. Sometimes when we're struggling, we have the ups and downs, the ins and outs of all kinds of attitudes. What is God going to answer to Habakkuk? That's where we're going to stop this week. I look forward to next week because it is pivotal. Let's wrestle with these things. Let's go to God for an answer. And let's see 
how he will answer. Take a few minutes and respond to the Lord in prayer.